Section 45 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 5. Clubin Puts the Finishing Touch to Admiration. A crash was heard. The splitting of a vessel's side on a reef in the open sea is one of the most melancholy sounds conceivable. The Durand came to a dead halt. Several passengers were thrown down by the shock and rolled along the deck. The Guernsey man raised his hands to heaven. On the handway! I predicted it! A long-drawn cry broke out on the vessel. We are lost! Clubin's voice, dry and curt, dominated the cry. No one is lost! Silence! Imbramkam's black form, bare to the waist, came up the hatchway leading to the engine-room. The negro said calmly, Captain, the water is coming into the hold. The fire will soon be out. It was a frightful moment. The shock had resembled a suicide. It could not have been more terrible had it been done intentionally. The Durand had dashed upon the rock as though attacking it. One point of the rock had penetrated the ship like a nail. More than six feet square of her planking had been crushed. The stern was broken, the bow stove in, the open hull drank in the water with a horrible boiling sound. It was a wound through which entered shipwreck. The rebound had broken the pendants of the rudder, which hung loose and beat about. The keel had been stove in by the reef, and around the vessel nothing was visible but the thick compact fog, now almost black. Night was fast drawing on. The Durand made a plunge forward. She was like the horse, which has the bull's horn in his bowels. She was dead. The hour of half high tide made itself felt on the sea. Tangrui was sobered. No one is drunk during a shipwreck. He went down between the decks, came up again, and said, Captain, the water is gaining on the hold. In ten minutes it will be even with the scuppers. The passengers rushed about the deck in a bewildered manner, wringing their hands, leaning over the rail, staring at the machinery, making all the useless movements of terror. The tourist had fainted away. Clubin made a sign with his hand. Everyone became silent. He questioned Imbramkan. How much longer can the engine work? Five or six minutes. Then he questioned the Guernsey passenger. I was at the helm. You saw the rock. On which bank of the Hanway are we? On the mauve. Just now when it lighted up I recognized the mauve perfectly. As we are on the mauve, continued Clubin, we have the great Hanway on our port side and the little Hanway on the starboard. We are a mile from the shore. The crew and the passengers listened, quivering with anxiety and attention, their eyes riveted on the captain. There was no object in lightening the vessel, and besides it was impossible. In order to throw the cargo into the sea, they would have been obliged to open the portholes and increase the chances for the water to enter. It would have been useless to cast anchor. They were nailed fast. Moreover, on this bottom, which would have made it impossible to trip the anchor, the chain would probably have parted. As the engine was not injured and could be worked while the fire was not extinguished, that is to say for a few minutes longer, they could use the whole force of wheels and steam to move backward and tear themselves from the reef. In that case they would sink immediately. 
The rock stopped up the leak to a certain extent and obstructed the passage of the water. It presented an obstacle. The opening freed, it would be impossible to stop the leaks and free her with pumps. He who withdraws the dagger from a wound in the heart kills the wounded man on the spot. To disengage themselves from the rock was simply to founder. The cattle, on being reached by the water in the hold, began to bellow. Clubin gave the command, "'Launch the longboat!' Imbram Khan and Tongrui rushed forward and cast off the lashings. The rest of the crew looked on petrified. "'All hands to the ropes!' shouted Clubin. This time all obeyed. Clubin, impassive, continued in that ancient language of command which the sailors of the present day would not understand. "'Haul taut! Take a turn, if the capstan is clogged! Stop heaving! Slack! Don't let the blocks of the davit tackle get foul! Lower away! Slack away! Both ends together! Sharp! Together! Look out that it doesn't go down, and first! There's too much strain! Hold on to the lanyards of the davits. Stand by there. The longboat was now on the water. At the same instant the wheels of the Durand stopped, the smoke ceased, the engine was submerged. The passengers gliding down the ladder or hanging to the rigging let themselves drop into the boat rather than descended into it. Imbram Khan picked up the fainting tourist, carried him into the boat, then climbed back upon the vessel. The sailors rushed forward in the rear of the passengers. The cabin boy had fallen under their feet, and they were trampling over him. Imram Khan barred the passage. "'No one before the lad,' said he. He brushed aside the sailors with his black arms, seized the cabin boy, and handed him to the Guernsey passenger, who stood up in the boat to receive him. The cabin boy saved. Imram Khan stood aside and said to the others, "'Pass on!' In the meantime, Captain Clubin had gone to his cabin and had made up a package of the papers and instruments belonging on board. He removed the compass from the binnacle, he handed the papers and instruments to Imram Khan and the compass to Tongrui, and said to them, Get into the boat. They obeyed. The crew had preceded them. The long boat was full. The water was on a level with the gunwales. Now, shouted Clubin, give way. A cry arose from the longboat. And you, Captain? I remain here. Shipwrecked men have but little time for deliberation, and still less for becoming affected. Still, those who were in the boat, and in comparative safety, felt an emotion which was not altogether selfish. All voices insisted simultaneously, Come with us, Captain! I remain. The Guernsey man, who was used to the sea, replied, Listen, Captain, you have run aground on the Hanway. You only need to swim a mile to gain Plémont. But with a boat one cannot land short of La Roquaine, and that is two miles. There are breakers and there is the fog. This longboat will not reach La Roquaine for two hours to come. It will be a dark night. The sea is rising, the wind is freshening, a storm is at hand. We ask no better than to come back for you, but if heavy weather comes on, we shall not be able. You are lost if you remain. Come with us. The Parisian interposed. The longboat is full and overfull, it is true, and one man more would be one man too many. 
but there are thirteen of us, which is bad for the boat, and it is better to overload it with another man than with an unlucky number. Come, Captain, Tongrui added. It is wholly my fault and not yours. It is not right that you should remain. I stay, said Clubin. The vessel will be torn in pieces tonight by the tempest. I shall not leave it. When the ship is lost, the captain is dead. It will be said of me, he did his duty to the end. Tangrui, I forgive you. And folding his arms, he shouted, Obey orders! Cast off the ropes! Give way! The boat began to move. Imbram Khan had seized the helm. All hands which were not rowing were raised towards the captain. All mouths shouted, Hurrah for Captain Clubin! That's an admirable man, said the American. Monsieur, replied the Guernsey man, he's the most honest sailor afloat. Tongrui wept. If I had had any courage, he muttered, I should have remained with him. The longboat entered the fog and disappeared. Nothing more was visible. The splash of the oars decreased and died away. Clubin remained alone. End of chapter 5. Clubin puts the finishing touch to admiration.